Welcome to today's broadcast of Sun, Salt, and Light. Sun, Salt, and Light, S-O-N, knowing and growing in your daily relationship with Jesus Christ, but also being the salt and the light in your marriage, in your family, at your place of work, at your church, and even in the community you're in. I'm Pastor Michael Petit. This is a radio ministry of our church, Calvary Chapel Divine, here in Divine, Texas. We are so glad that you joined us for today's broadcast. We are a Calvary Chapel, so we simply teach the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We believe that God uses His Word to transform, restore, and to change lives one verse at a time. If you're visiting our area, you'd like to get information about our church or church service times, maybe even track down some of the other teachings that we have available through podcasts, whether it's through Audible or Spotify or Apple Podcasts, you can do all of that at our church website at calvarydivine.org. That's calvarydivine.org. If you have your Bibles ready, today we'll continue our verse-by-verse study through the book of Ephesians as we are in chapter 4, verses 28 through 32. The title of this sermon is, Put Away the Fleshly Desires and Put on Christ. Here is the first half of this two-part study. Last week, we actually dealt with putting away anger, right? We talked about unrighteous anger, but we talked about in that verse that you can be angry. You can be angry about the things that God is angry about. But we talked about righteous anger, and it's very important when we talk about righteous anger that 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 comes from God. That is empowered by the Holy Spirit, and you can speak truth and love and say what needs to be said in righteous anger because we're told all the time you cannot be angry you can have righteous anger if you're hating the things that god hates you can have righteous anger but do not do not have righteous anger with the stone in your hand and you're doing the same sin you might as well just start hitting yourself in the head with it i mean it's you got to deal with your stuff first that's that's the reality of it some of us are so ready to have righteous anger man you shouldn't be doing this and your life's a mess. It's like, man, you need to deal with your stuff first. And we talked about that. The unrighteous anger is selfish anger. And when selfish anger goes on too long, it becomes what? Wrath. And wrath is like a shotgun blast. It leaves carnage. It leaves damage. And it happens very loudly and very quickly. And just as quick as it, the shot goes out, the noise is gone. And that's what a lot of our kids deal with today, is wrath. And we're going to talk about that again. So Paul hits that twice. It's a problem. Paul hits that twice. And the thing that is very important as we look at these things that we are to put off and put on, it's important for us to understand the things that he's talking, talking about is for us as Christians. He's not talking to the unbelieving world. He's talking to Christians. He's talking to Christians. Remember, he had to sit the first three chapters of this book. And now he's asking you to walk. And one of the things we have to walk in is putting this stuff away. This is part of the problem why the witness of the church is hurt so bad today. It's because we're angry for no reason. Right? Unrighteous anger. You're lying. You're, you're clamoring. All these different things that are going on. And it's hurting the church. It's hurting the testimony. And the light, you're not the light of God. People don't see it. And so the first thing we look at is do not steal and speak corruptly in verses 28 and 29. 
Let him who stole steal no longer. Very, very bluntly put, Exodus 29, uh, 15, you shall not steal. Now you ask anybody if they know that piece of scripture and they will quote that to you. Why? Because we have things that are set up in our, in our world that God has set up. And this is very important that you get this. For the unbelieving world, God set up three things. He set up laws. Remember, we learned about it in Noah. Because he tells Noah, if somebody murders somebody, what do you do with them? You kill them. You kill them. Who has to implement that law? Noah had to. And the people had to. That was the first law ever instituted. And so God puts laws into place. He gives governments those things in place to do. He has judges. He has DAs. And then he has the secondary thing, which is police. Authority. Your principal. Your teacher. Authority. Not many teachers are, you know, today it's, it's crazy. Most of our teachers need to go, they need to be under somebody's authority. Because they look like they're just trying to be friends with the students. That's, man, my teachers were not like that. Sit down. I don't, you want to open your mouth? You go down to the office, you get spanked. They get that big old paddle out. See, in Texas, we used to do things differently. Oh, you can't hit a child no more. That's the problem. Man, you got to go in that principal's office. You knew, man, I'm going to get lit up. Because that assistant principal, or if they had the coach sitting in, oh, my Lord. You get hit one time by the coach, you never go back in that office again. Sit down, okay. <laughs> you sit down. But you have that authority. You have the police that have that authority. And then what is the final piece of authority? Parents. Parents. God put that in place for a specific reason. Parents. You have laws. You have authority figures like police. And you have parents. That's for the unbelieving world. Why are we so rapidly turning into immorality and darkness? We have failed the laws. We have failed with the authority. And we have failed as parents. We have. And so when we look at stealing, we can look at San Francisco and know automatically we got a problem. They said, hey, we'll, we'll let them steal up to $1,000. Well, after stores closed for decades, family-owned stores, small businesses closed down because they could no longer function. Because people were just walking in and taking whatever they wanted. They weren't going to be charged. There was no law for them to govern them. And then that turned into, well, Walgreens only has so much stuff. Let's go to the expensive side of town and let's create flash mobs. And we'll steal in, in, in packs. And you see that all over the news. You saw them completely tear down a Walmart in Chicago. It's no longer open anymore. You think about all the merchandise in a Walmart. Gone. Just destroyed. And then you have, recently, two teens who stole a vehicle and ran over a police officer, a retired police officer, laughing as they were going live online and killed the man. And this is what happens when we don't enforce the law. We have judges that don't enforce it. We have DAs that don't enforce it. We have police that don't enforce it. Or when they try to enforce it, the DA is not going to do anything. And we have parents that are single parent homes and the father's nowhere in the picture. 
That's the number one epidemic of this country. Because the government provides everything that the wife needs. And if the question, not only to the church, but also to uh, the world, would you rather have security or freedom? You know what the number one answer is? Security. Do you know who also promised security? Stalin. Hitler. That's what socialism is. Security. I want freedom in Christ. I fought for freedom. I fought for this country. I'm not happy with the direction it's going. And, and as followers of Christ, you shouldn't be happy either. We have to set the example. And so one of the things that we do as followers of Christ is we don't steal. But unfortunately, that's been a problem. In Proverbs 11, verse 1, it says, Dishonest scales are an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is His delight. You ever heard the term, term he had his thumb on the scale? That's where that comes from. That's from that, that proverb. He puts his thumb on the scale because he's going to charge him more than he should have been charged. As a follower of Christ, if you're stealing money from your parent, and you don't steal money anymore, you just steal debit cards, right? You don't tell them and you just go spend the money, you stole. If, you, if you're, you're at the HEB and you get to the car, and there's something extra in your basket. Do you walk it back in? Because if you put it in your bag, you're stealing. If you get an extra bag, and you get home and you go, this ain't my stuff, do you take it back? Or do you go, man, we got extra milk today? Stealing. How about when you lie on your, your IRS statement? Well, if I do this, I can qualify for earned income credit. Well, you're lying. You're a follower of Christ. You shouldn't be doing that. If, you're, if you're, you're lying about your income and how much you gave. I gave this much to charity. Did you really give that much to charity? You better hope you don't get audited. You're stealing. If you're running a business and you start padding the expense reports, it's stealing. What about lying on an insurance claim? You get hit by a car and you go, oh, I think I'm hurt. <laughs> Trust me. Attorneys will send you all over the place, man. But you're stealing. You're, you're stealing. If you're overestimating, if you're overestimating or you're uh, causing customers to pay more than they should, if you're running a business, you're stealing. How about this one? You take a longer lunch break than you're supposed to. You're stealing time from that company. If you get an hour, you get an hour. How about sharing your testimony at work during work hours? The people at the job are not paying you to share Christ. They're paying you to work. That's what your lunch hour is for. But I knew people that would stop working and the other people would be working. They'd be sharing their testimony. They're supposed to be working. Don't do that. You're supposed to be the example. If you're failing to quote authors or you're publishing work, that's not yours. Something our president, current president has a huge problem with. You're stealing. You're stealing. See, as, as men of God we are, and women of God, we are supposed to be known not for doing that, to put that off. But he says that you are supposed to work, right? Man is supposed to work. Now, women, that's optional because it doesn't have that in the Scripture. Because, I'm man, I, I could tell you right now, the biggest problem that we have in this country is that there's not somebody home when these kids get home. That's an issue. They need parents. Parents with an S. And, and if you're a single parent, I know that you got your, your, your hands full. 
But man, you need, to, you need to spend as much time with him as you can. But God isn't playing. He's had man working from the very moment that he created man. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend it and keep it. You are to be working. If you're a follower of Christ, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. We are to do what God has called us to do. We are to work with our own hands in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11, uh, as we commanded you. And the work is supposed to be good. The word good means that there is quality in the work that you do. Some Christians are known as worst workers at their job. They're lazy. They don't do their job. And he's telling you, look, you're supposed to be out of all the employees, you should be the best because you're following Christ. And the quality of your work should be good. There should be no compromising that you're practicing. And that means if you're at a job where it requires you to lie, that's not good work. You need to leave. Well, I've got to find another job. God will do that. Okay? You need to start praying, but you cannot be there doing things where you're compromising. When they're asking you to take advantage of people, or take, you know, where, oh, we'll tell this customer this, but they don't need that part. You're lying. And you can't be a part of that. And you let them know, hey, I'm not doing that. And then you need to get your resume polished and get ready to look for something else. Because you can't be involved in that job. That's why he says, let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, labor, and labor, the word labor actually in the Greek means to exhaustion. Do you work to exhaustion? Seriously. That type of quality of work. That's what Paul is talking about here. To exhaustion. Like you should set the example. That should be you. He says, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. So he's saying, look, the reason that you're earning is to help your other brother. Or to help serve alongside and help that other person. Because they have need. You can provide. You can help. So he's like, not only are you going to provide for your family, but I'm going to make it to where there's enough to where you can provide to help those in need. It's important for us to think about that. Your first fruit should be to God because He's provided it. No, I'm the one working. That's me. I'm the one who's there 9 to, nine to 5, or I'm the one there from 6 to 5 o'clock in the afternoon. It's not God. No, God provided you that job. God provided you that income. And God should be the one that gets the first fruit. And then not only does He say that, but you should help others. Would you help somebody who's in need? Let no corrupt word proceed out of, the, out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearer. Now he goes from telling you to put away stealing, right? And, then, and, then, and to put on work, good work, quality work. But he says, now I need you to put away those hurtful words. I need you to put away the, the rotten, corrupt words. The word in the Greek means rotten like a fruit that's rotten. Like, does your mouth produce rotten fruit? What's coming out of your mouth? That means foul language, windows, and colorful jokes. All that stuff needs to go. You're supposed to impart grace to people. 
James chapter 3, verses 5 through 6 says, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a force is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. When you allow those corrupt words out of your mouth, you're just imparting, imparting fire out of your mouth, fire from hell. We're supposed to impart grace. And I can tell you as a father, I didn't do that for a long time. Don't make the mistake that I made. I believe some of the damage that my kids still go through is because of me and my corrupt talk. You need to put that away. It's like, but he, I love that he says, he says, impart grace in your speech. You know, the one thing we always got from Tony was the one thing I always heard is everybody loves speaking to Tony. Why? Because he imparted grace with his speech. That's what he was known for. Like, you read, I, you know, I read Colossians chapter 4, verse 6. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer with each one. That was it. That was it. We can all do that. I can tell you one of the things that's going to require is you to be a better listener. We have to become better listeners. But one of the things we have to ask ourselves is, as we think about our marriage and our kids, as we think about our, our fellowship as a church, as we think about our community, do, does your speech help or hinder? Does it build up or tear down? Does it heal or create more scarring? It tells us that we are to speak truth and love and to encourage and edify. But even in the, the edification, we even have to correct at times. And there has to be grace in that. There has to be. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 verses 10 and 11 says, The preacher sought to find acceptable words. And what was written was upright words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and the words of the scholars are like well-driven nails given by one shepherd. The word goads actually means to stir up to, to, for the situation that you're in. You should have words to impart of grace for the situation that's happening. But you can't do that if you don't have the Word of God stored on your heart. If the Word of God is not stored on your heart, it's, <laughs> what, in, what grace do you have to share? You're just going to be given worldly wisdom, and they don't need that. Proverbs 25:11 says, "A word, a word uh, fitly spoken, is like apples of gold in settings of silver." So be gracious. Proverbs 15:28, "The heart of righteousness studies how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours forth evil." Do you get that? The heart of righteousness studies how to answer. Take your time before you answer. In Isaiah 50, verse 4, it says, The Lord God has given me the tongue of, a, of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. Can I tell you that the key to that verse is a word in season to him who is weary. But you know what has to happen first? He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear. You're waiting to hear from God. You're, you're opening his word, awaiting to hear from God. I want to hear from the Lord. You know, when, when I think about speaking in volumes, we have a, a brother by the name of Brother Dennis. Dennis is a pastor here uh, in town. He's been a pastor for over 80 years. He still teaches every Sunday. 
And when we have our South Texas Ministerial Fellowship meetings, Dennis sits on usually the other end of the table. And everybody's sitting, baiting, waiting for Dennis to speak. Because he speaks in volumes. He speaks with grace. He speaks with wisdom. And you're just like waiting for Dennis to share something. It's usually one to two sentences is all he shares every meeting. I remember writing something down that Dennis shared. They were talking about uh, trying to help out for a youth event. And Dennis shared, he goes, you know what? Money's been sitting there for two years because of COVID. He goes, how do you expect a blessing if you don't, uh, don't expect to bless somebody else? How are we expecting a blessing for the South Texas Ministerial Fellowship if we're not willing to bless somebody else? And me and Matt were in the meeting, and we're, we're both our pens are writing it down because we're like, everything Dennis says, is in, it has grace. It's seasoned with salt. You're wanting more. And that's how you should be. That's how you should be. People should want to spend more time with you, to be able to get to know you and talk with you. I've been, I've, me and Jacob, have, we've had little moments to be able to, I want to be able to spend more time and talk with them because I love talking to them. I enjoy it. I got to talk to Zachary last week and enjoyed that, and, and Steve as well. I'm, I, that's what we're here for, is to build each other up, to encourage each other, to edify each other with grace. That's what we should be doing. The second point we have is do not grieve the Holy Spirit in verse 30. So he tells you to put away stealing, put away corrupt talk, put on work, and then put on uh, words of edification with grace and now he tells you do not grieve the Holy Spirit now when we read this verse he's actually dealing with everything that's above it and, be, and below it so I don't think like he is speaking in the context of rotten speech but he's also talking about anger unrighteous anger he's also talking about wrath he's also talking about lying we went over that a couple weeks ago so he's telling you all these things, and then he's going to give you another list of things here in a few, few minutes of, of clamoring and all these other things that have to be put away as well. But he's saying all of these things grieve the Holy Spirit. Stop grieving the Holy Spirit. And it, it is the implication that your sin, the Holy Spirit cannot be part of. He cannot be a part of it. And I did say the word he, because he speaks, and he has been sealed with you, if you're His, and He ain't going to be a part of it. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Because if you continue to grieve the Holy Spirit, eventually you're going to quench the Holy Spirit. That's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19. And what do I mean by quenching the Holy Spirit? If you continue to run to your sin, look at it this way. The Holy Spirit's like this. And I heard Ryan Reese say this yesterday. It's a little bit like red light, green light. And what I mean by that is like the Holy Spirit lets you know, hey, should I, you need to go talk to that person. You need to go pray with that person. You ever have that? Like, why, why is that? And you go do it and you're, you're blessed, but it was given to you by the Holy Spirit to go do. Right? That's green light. Red light. Uh, should I look at the pornography? Red light. Red light. Red light. But if you keep passing it, because a lot of you love, love running, running stop signs. Or you try to do the California stop. Let me see a little bit. And, let me, and eventually you're going to take off and go into it. Then you're grieving the Holy Spirit. But you'll eventually quench the Holy Spirit. If you continue to not follow what the Holy Spirit's given you, you're, that's when your drifting begins. 
And that's when people, you go, man, are they falling away from God? Their relationship starts to falter. They're not in the Word. They don't come to, well, I don't need to be at church. I don't feel like going to church. They don't come to church. They don't want fellowship. They isolate themselves. I told y'all, I've been dealing with something that, that's been hard. And, you know, somebody who's in his almost 80 years old, faltering into sin. Red light, red light, red light, and then right into another addiction. And you're thinking to yourself, at what point? Well, you kept isolating yourself. You kept pulling yourself away. And this is what happens. God never intended man to be alone. Ever. Ever. If you're blessed with kids, praise God. Eventually those kids will not be with you. Meaning they will all begin to move out. They grow up. And then you start having grandkids. You need to be praying like, Lord, bless me with a wife. That needs to be a prayer. But that means in the time that you're waiting to be blessed with a wife, you need to be preparing yourself and seeking the things that God is trying to show you as an individual what needs to be worked on. We need to wake up, but sometimes you will not catch the signal, hey, I put this person in front of you. Nope, you're red lighting over here at pornography. You miss that person because of it. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Well, that concludes today's broadcast of Sun, Salt, and Light Radio. We hope that you enjoyed it. If you'd like to submit a prayer request or get in contact with us or find out service times, you can do all of that at our website, uh, as well as get uh, our podcast at Spotify, Audible, TuneIn Radio. Pretty much wherever you can find a podcast, uh, you, you can just type in Sun, Salt, and Light, and you'll find it. 